I want to ask you a personal question. Do you read my newsletter, Leadership Forward 321? Because if you don't, I really think you'd like it if you like this podcast. Every Wednesday morning, I send a short newsletter designed to help you lead your organization more strategically and with less overwhelm in five minutes or less. The newsletters are organized around a timely leadership theme and give you something practical that you can apply right away in your organization. I include three of the best articles that I've come across on that theme, two concrete resources or tools that I believe in, and one quote to inspire and motivate you. So if you don't yet get the newsletter, I'm going to make it super easy for you to sign up. Just text the word IMPACT to 66866 and you'll be added to my list. Thanks. Hi, welcome to the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. I'm Brooke Ritchie Babbage, social justice lawyer turned nonprofit founder and leader of a seven-figure nonprofit. I've spent the past 20 years immersed in social impact work, and I've worn so many hats. I've worked as a leader, a board member, a coach, and a strategist. I've ridden the highs of changing lives in communities, and I have weathered the many storms that go along with doing social change work. And through it all, I've learned an important lesson. There is a method to the madness of leading social impact work. I created the Nonprofit Mastermind to share that method, to pull back the curtain on the actual strategies and mindset behind launching, growing, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. Ultimately, we do this work to make the world a more beautiful, equitable, and just place, and I want to help you do that. If you're a passionate, committed leader who's looking to build and lead an institution that has real and lasting impact, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, Jermaine, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I have been looking forward to this conversation all month. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, I was saying before we got on camera, started recording, that I am a huge fan of you on social media. I follow you on LinkedIn and Instagram. I've listened to all of your different podcast interviews, so I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Um, so let's start with you. I um, I always like to start with sort of the personal stories of the folks mm -hmm. that I that I talk with on the podcast, and I think particularly because your passion around accounting and numbers and you know you and I have geeked out over spreadsheets and our love of of things operational um, is is just a really cool story. So how did you come to found Visionary Accounting Group and did you always want to do nonprofit accounting? <laughs> That is interesting because <laughs> no, I did not always want surprise, to do surprise. <laughs> and I always tell people I kind of just landed here. Um, same thing with just accounting, but just to give you a little bit of backstory. So I have two degrees in accounting. And then um, I was an auditor. I worked for one of the big four accounting firms before going internal and then doing like internal audit, anti-money laundering work. And then I opened up a tax office with my mom. That was the first iteration of visionary. I love that. <laughs> and that was in 2015. And that was a thing. <laughs> it was just in my head. And I was like, I don't know if this is the place to talk about it, but in my head, I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, cause the thing is, and when you first, like as an accounting major, a lot of times when you first get introduced to the, the sector, it's like tax or audit, right? They don't tell you all of the other things that you could possibly be doing in the, yeah. in the industry. And so 
I was doing audit and then me and my mom had a really great opportunity to buy into a tax franchise. So we opened up an office and things were okay, very rocky, but I think it's because I was also working full-time, right? Well, we both were. And so that was the first iteration. And so in 2018, we decided I had, I got pregnant with my daughter. And at that point I was like, there is no way that I can do jobs and a baby. (laughs) It's no way. And so I closed the tax office and, but I was still doing like um, taxes and accounting on the side for small business owners, no clear niche or anything like that. It kind of was like, you need help. I do it. Come yeah. on over. Yeah. And, um, but when I had my daughter, you know how it is. You only get like, what, like, I think like three months mm-hmm. of maternity leave. And I was like, when the three months was up, I was like, okay, I'm going to exhaust my vacation, disability, all these additional things. But essentially it just came down to it where I just was not ready to go back. And in my mind, I was like, okay, I could always go back when I'm ready. And it just so happened that a family friend was like, there was a nonprofit here who recently lost their CFO. They were in dire need of some financial leadership. And she was like, it doesn't require much, like, you know, contract work or whatever. You know, I was like, okay, you know, like I can do that. Why not? I'll try it. That contract that was supposed to be three months then turned into a year. Then I was there almost two years. Yeah. Um, but that was my first um, experience working with nonprofit. It was also my first experience realizing that nonprofits do have money. Um, they do Wait, pay well. Let me say that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I realize nonprofits do have money and yeah. they do pay well. Now that may not be the case like on a broader scope, but I think the narrative of it like being just this low down job you take and like you work so hard, you don't get paid. I, I hate that narrative because that's just not the case in many of them. And then on the flip side, the ones that let's just say don't pay well or where it's difficult to kind of climb up a lot of times it's due to funding issues. Right. And so, um, so that was kind of like my first kind of iteration. And I just realized the gaps, you know, in the accounting process, the holes, and that while this was like a 10 million plus organization that had a full blown accounting department, many people don't even have one person. Not even a CFO. Absolutely. Exactly. And I realized too, like because of the regulations, right? Nonprofits are so heavily regulated. There's a lot of things that you have to do to even maintain compliance. It was just like you, at the very least, you have to have somebody who is minding your accounting. And so that's when I was like, this is it for me. Like, I really enjoyed the fact that I felt fulfilled, like I was doing good work. It was, it was hard and challenging, no doubt. But the fact that one, um, I, I, I could see the direct correlation between the work that I was doing and then the effect that it was having on the organization. You don't have a clean audit. Yeah. Them funders not going to keep giving you no money. That's you know, right. you know That's what I mean? Right. We yeah. don't account for this. We don't bill appropriately and account for these expenses. Yeah. Then those teams that you have coming in here for the summer youth program, they're not going to get paid. Right. Yeah. So it was like, like being able to see the direct impact was like, I really, I really like this. And then also when I did my research, I'm like, there are not many accountants that want to work with nonprofits because they recognize the complexities. They also subscribe to the, they don't pay. And then the last part is that, you know, um, many of them are just like, it's just too complex. I don't want to be bothered. They don't really understand. Right. 
And so I was like, you know, this lane is uncrowded. <laughs> I love so it. I'm going love to, it. I'm going to get in this lane. The blue ocean. <laughs> yes. I was like, I'm going to get in this lane. And that's really was the turning point. And since then we've been serving nonprofits. We've worked with a number of them since then. Um, and again, like we really enjoy this work and it's something about being able to support these organizations who we know are doing good in the world. They're serving our communities and, you know, I didn't have that. Like, I didn't hate corporate. You know, many people jump into entrepreneurship because it's like, I hate corporate. I don't like, I didn't have that problem. But was I fulfilled? No, in my mind, it was like, I show up and I get the check and I go home. Um, I get a bit more on this side of things. And so that's really my story. <laughs> I love that story. It's, I always love, I mean, not only talking to other entrepreneurs, other women entrepreneurs, other women of color entrepreneurs, but you're like the, I guess I named three things already, so I can't say trifecta, but to also be in the social justice space and to have a genuine passion for shoring up the ability of these amazing world-changing organizations to do their work better is just, you know, I just, I just love it. Um, and you hear so often, it's like, um, you know, I want to work with someone that looks like me, right? I've had many minority-owned yeah. organizations who also wanted a minority, you know, owned business or accountant to serve them. And I understand and respect that. And I, that's another reason why I love being in this space, because there's a direct correlation to who we are, the problems that are arising in our communities. And so right. it's like, if there is some way that I can help you do more of that that's in this right. community that does affect me and people that yes. look like me. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think <laughs> there's like this really interesting, and it's not often talked about, but definitely it's a myth that people of color in the nonprofit space aren't the accountants, the operations people, the strategists, um, you know, that... Um, and so I always really think it's it's wonderful and interesting to say, oh no, we are everywhere in this space and in this sector. Okay. Um, so when we think about accounting, I wanna go right to the heart of, part of why I was excited to, to do this conversation. People are afraid of numbers, mm -hmm. right? Like if we just put it out there, most, most, definitely most, I want to say all, but I'm sure there's one or two people I'm forgetting of the organizations that I work with. The leaders are in some shape or form afraid of accounting. Mm -hmm. um, they, it's opaque, right? They're, like you said, it feels complicated and they're like, we're mm -hmm. going to do this wrong. Mm -hmm. um, we don't really, we haven't seen examples of what a good accounting shop or a robust accounting house looks like. So I, if I were to hire someone, I don't even know what to tell them to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a real fear of getting intimate with their organization's finances. So you work with a lot of growing nonprofits, which I also really appreciate because you're not sort of coming in just to the 15, $20 million organizations that just need your expertise. You're saying, hey, I'm going to work with organizations that don't have a CFO, but need a strong accounting firm. What are some of the biggest fears and insecurities that you've come across in your work with leaders and their sort of relationship to numbers and money? Mm -hmm. So the thing is coming in at the top one isn't really helpful because what I've noticed is 
when you kind of start to get to that maybe 15, 20 million dollar range, you need in-house, right? You also you yeah. and at that point yeah. you can probably afford to hire a few staff, right? That can come in and a department. Yeah. Right. The problem that I was finding was for those who were in that middle range where it was like, I'm definitely past DIY, but I definitely can't hire three people. Yes. But I need the support. What do we do? And that's why I wanted to set up shop in that middle piece. Mm -hmm. The the fears or that I find that come up one is that most of these executive directors, COOs, they just, they are not accountants. They're not finance professionals. And so for them, it's like, I know this is a need and it's important, but this is not my wheelhouse, right? And what I find too, is that while even though some of them may not necessarily be afraid of the numbers, it's like, I'm doing a million and one things. I don't even have the time to dedicate to learning and to figure it out. And my response to that always is too, is that I don't think you're supposed to either. I do think that you're supposed to have a certain basic level of financial literacy because I mean, you're running the shop, right? Yes. But you should be partnered with a CFO or a controller who can speak in depth then about the numbers and what's happening in the in that whole fiscal um, function so that you are armed and equipped with the information that's needed to run the organization. But to be well-versed, I feel like then you might as well be the CFO, right? You, you're the leader, you're the executive director, you should be running the organization. And so, and then the other part, I think the other great fear is that they're not doing things well and that they're usually always on that verge of like, oh, if someone came in and audited us, I don't know what they're going to find. I hear that all the time, yeah. Or it's the, the other piece, part of like, I don't know how we should be, you know, we got this multi-year grant. I don't know how we're supposed to be accounting for it, or we got all of this money in, but we want to make sure that it, it stretches. Right. So I think it's like then having the know-how because you don't always have to be in feast or famine, right. They could be experienced abundance and, and are still like, I want to make sure we hold on to this. Like what, yes. what are we spending properly? Yeah. Are we bleeding cash somewhere, you know? Yeah. And so, um, I like to say you need a partner and I say partner because this really is not a set it and forget it type of situation. You have to be involved, but you don't have to be doing it, if that makes sense. So what I love um, is this idea of who, not how, right? It's it's something that um, I think as leaders, shifting our mindset to really focus on who are the right people to own this this body of work, not how can I own this body of work? We do not have to, nor should we own everything, be experts in everything. And so as we shift to the, who do I need to partner with? It gets us out of, okay, now I need to hunker in and take an accounting class. So mm-hmm. I really loved that. Right. Cause are you really going to understand after taking an accounting class? You know what I mean? Like I, what I've noticed is like, a lot of even just, I mean, I have two degrees in accounting. I've been in the field since 2010 and so much or most of what I learned was by doing. So sitting down in a classroom and taking a class, it might help with some of those basic understanding like financial literacy you yeah. have. Yeah. If we're talking about who's doing the work, you need someone yeah. who knows what they're doing. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and it's not, not a volunteer that just likes the organization, but someone who has an accounting background and understands the nuances um, as it relates to managing the finances of a nonprofit. So talk to me about 
who this partner should be. I think one of the other things that I hear from leaders is I know it's not DIY, right? I'm past DIY. I'm not at the point where I have a department. Um, so I'm going to get this really good friend of mine who is like really good with QuickBooks and will volunteer <laughs> their time to be our, you know, our bookkeeper or to work with our bookkeeper. Like what, who should this partner be <laughs> once you're past that the DIY? kills me, okay? Yeah. Let me tell you. I imagine. Because your friend, the volunteer, unless they are an accountant and have some, or has some sort of professional accounting training, it could be a disaster because one, I always like to point out that there, there are a lot of differences between managing a for-profit and a non-profit. And so yeah. while someone may be able to pick up on what you need if you were a for-profit business. Nonprofits are heavily regulated. There are certain things that donors want to see, funders want to see, management, the board. And so if you the are- The IRS when versed, you're audited, absolutely. If you are not well-versed in these things, then you could be doing more harm than good. And so it's like, I appreciate the sentiment, but I really don't think that that works. The second piece is that this is probably unpopular opinion, but a lot of these nonprofits do not need a CFO. You're trying to start at the top, but nothing down here is together. That is working backwards. And I say that because a CFO is really meant to be a forward-thinking strategic partner to the executive director. And for a lot of small and growing organizations, they're just not there yet. You know, yeah. like a lot of that risk management, you know, managing bacon relationships and things like that. Not to say that you don't need that, but we, we're also trying to be cost conscious here, right? And yes. there the accounting industry has come a long way. A controller could do a lot of that work for you, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think we need to stop thinking so granular and start thinking specifically about what does my organization need and what can I get that also means I'm not overpaying, right? Because I find that organizations will bring in a CFO and it's an old glorified bookkeeper. Like they're doing bookkeeping work. They're doing accounting. And so you're paying this huge six-figure salary, but because the things down here are not being done, and the foundation is not being laid, this high-priced executive is doing low-level work, right? And so I'd like to say when you first get started and you're kind of, I think in that like zero to like about the 500K range, you typically can get away with like a good bookkeeper, you know, yeah. someone who is still well-versed in nonprofits, who understands the nuances, but typically to that point, things are just really not that complicated. But I'd say once you start hitting the threshold in your state, or federally where you're required to be audited, or once you start dipping and dabbling in government contracts where or things, restricted, where you know time funding, time where things yeah. get really mm -hmm. muddy and complex, I think you need to start thinking about a controller. And I am of the mind that typically you don't want a one person um, show, right? Like one person in the fiscal department. And typically once you start hitting like that seven figure you know, you're operating at seven figures. That's what I say, typically having like a strong controller who's supported by like a bookkeeper or like two, one or two bookkeepers or staff accountants, like typically that works, right? And so I would say when you think about like the 10 million plus 15, 20 at that range, I do think a lot of times you start thinking about a more built out um, 
department and one that is led by a CFO, right? Because at that level, there are just a, the, the playing game, the playing field, right, has just been raised. There's a lot more to think about and manage and a CFO would best serve, I think, in that capacity. But I think we have to stop thinking so large so soon. I love that. One of the things that I really appreciate about your um, your LinkedIn and IG posts, they're really concrete, they're really actionable, and you talk about getting your financial house in order, right? You talk in really concrete terms about what does it mean to move beyond the bookkeeper? Um, right. And so, you know, this first piece is who are the people, right? A controller supported by, and as you get into seven figures up, you know, multi-seven mm -hmm. figures, a controller supported by one or two bookkeepers, an accountant, you have sort of a team that's not necessarily in-house, but that you're partnering with. I think another piece for me around the getting your financial house in order is, um, and you talk a lot about this in some of your other conversations with folks, having fiscal capacity to manage expanded fundraising, right? So I would imagine you have a lot of these conversations also, but I have so many conversations with nonprofit leaders about how do we grow our budget? Right? How do we expand our fundraising? How do we diversify major donors, different kinds of money, et cetera? Wonderful. Obviously, nonprofit leaders spend a lot of time thinking about bringing more money. Right. But the flip side of that, which you have said, is do you have, are you building your infrastructure and capacity to manage and support that? What does that look like? Like what what do we need to, what do organizations need to have in place structurally mm -hmm. to really support expanded fundraising as they grow. So when you think about expanded fundraising or even just like going after grants and contracts and things like that, when I talk about fiscal capacity, a lot of times I find on the front end. So when you think about like management program directors, like the people who are kind of like on the, the front end of the work, a lot of times, a lot of thoughts are around like, how do we get more money? How do we get more money yes. to support like the programs and the things that we're doing? Yes. Understandably. But what ends up happening is that fiscal is often not part of that conversation. And then what ends up happening is that we're bringing in multiple contracts. We're bringing in all of this funding that's restricted. Like that re just requires a lot of work now on the back end for people like me who sit in the fiscal department, right? So it may sound good to get this multi-year contract, but what are the stipulations that we have to follow yeah. to, to maintain compliance with that contract? Are yeah. we billing? Are there certain allowable and disallowable costs? Is it multi-year? Is a portion of this restricted? Like when you start to bring in, when you start to think about all of the stipulations and things that come with it, a lot of times there's a lot more time involved to managing that. And that's why I say like, we should be a part of the conversation. And when I say we, I mean like fiscal staff should be a part of the conversation so we can actually add our input to say, hey, I don't think that opportunity is gonna be great because it's going to require X, Y, Z. Maybe we need to think about this. Or if you want to go after this, that's fine, but we're short staffed in fiscal. And so we're gonna need X, Y, Z, right? Like that, that's the kind of conversations that I'm thinking about because I've sat in many meetings where it's like, oh yeah, so-and-so funder needs um, our financial report on Q1 or so-and-so funder, the billing got bounced back from so-and-so funder because we included X costs, which really are not allowable. Like it can become so intricate as far as tracking. And so it's like, we need to make sure that we have a process in place, but even with having a process at some point, we, we hit capacity, right? And so yes. we have to make yeah. sure that we're constantly having the conversation of 
when you guys are thinking about going after money, fundraising and things like that, what does that look like when it comes to managing that on the back end? I love that. So having the conversations up front, and this is, you know, you talked earlier in our conversation about partnership, right? That it's an ongoing, it's not set and forget, that having these conversations as you're thinking about your fundraising strategies about capacity, infrastructure, you know, what is this going to mean in terms of management? I, um, resentment arises. Yes. The very first organization I worked with, there were some staff members, I mean, that had been there like 20 plus years and stuff. And when you got in there and sitting there having these conversations, they're so disgruntled. There's, they feel forgotten because like yeah. you make all of these decisions on the front end and then you throw the work to them on the back end without any the reporting and the, yeah. Yeah. And so, and then that's the kind of stuff that you hear about around culture and like working in these spaces where you're overworked, underpaid and things like that. And so that's why I say like, we have to be a part of the conversation. You can't manage the organization separate from, from fiscal, right? We need to be a part of the organization. We need to be sitting at the table when you're having these conversations so that you are making the decision with the full picture of what's going to be needed um, when it, when, as it relates to that funding. I love that. I think about um, how, you know, some of the conversations that I have with folks, particularly in my accelerator, are about the cost of money, right? And we tend to think of money as just sort of a pure good. And by money, obviously, I mean revenue for our programs, mm-hmm. right? That the cost maybe is, okay, we have to have these outputs for a funder. But there's also what I'm hearing you say is an operational cost, a capacity cost, and an infrastructure cost to mm-hmm. every dollar we bring in. Somebody has to track it, someone has to manage it, someone has to report on it. And so if we're going to raise an extra $300,000 this year, we need to be having the conversation on the front end. How are we going to manage? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, do mm-hmm. we need more bank accounts? How are we going to like, you know, manage that money? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I want to talk brass tacks. This has been so concrete. I love this. I love I love when we're just like, what do we do? <laughs> um, if if I'm an organization that's say under $2 million, right? So I'm growing low seven figures, don't have the CFO, um, and I'm ready to get my sort of accounting house in order. What are some things I can do to operationalize what you're talking about? So obviously, you know, hiring, like what are, is there tech? Like how can I think about making this a reality well i would say you'd like to start where it hurts so like what is the pain like uh, sometimes we come in and we'll have a, a executive director and they're like we haven't had financials in months you oh know? i um, hear that all it's so painful when i hear that yeah and i i like i think the very first place if you want to start is where, what is your system right? What accounting software are you using? And if you are using none, that is the very beginning. Like, (laughs) but when you want to think about accounting software, you want to make sure that, um, of course, that it's cost effective, but you also want to think about what are the different funding sources and requirements that you have from a fiscal standpoint, because you want to match that with what you need out of a software. So many times we're caught doing a lot of like manual work because either the software is not set up correctly or we're using the wrong software. So we're not able to get a lot of the information in the way that we we need it. So one, it's what um, getting on some software 
Two, you're going to need to hire. Now, when you're thinking about who you're going to hire, that's when you start asking, like, what is it that the organization has it go has going on? Is it just basic bookkeeping that you need, or are you at the point where you need a lot more uh, financial data? Right, you're needing um, more. Uh, like sophisticated um, financial reporting. Um, right. Are you being audited? Do you need, because that's the other piece, beyond just being audited, it's the management of the audit process, pulling the documents, explaining different things. Like when we bring on clients who need that, we come on as the liaison because that in itself is, is a lot of work, right? Yeah. And so it's like, are you managing an, an audit? Like, are you, I mean, well, are you required to be audited? So is that a piece that you need? Because a lot of times if you're just hiring a basic bookkeeper, they're not going to be managing your audit, right? So it's like, you have to think about what, what does the organization need? And then you match that to the type of support that you then are looking for. And what I find is that when you start hitting that low seven figure, a lot of times one person typically doesn't cut it. And that's why I say like, I think it's, it do, it does organizations well to think about partnering with a firm because typically you can't afford to hire in-house multiple people. But when you outsource or you partner with a firm, you can get the team aspect at a fraction of the cost, right? So it's kind of like a win-win. And so, um, and I like to say like, there are three things, people, process, and tech. So when you're thinking about your strategy and what it is that you need from this accounting standpoint, it's like, where are you lacking in those three? Because a lot of times if you don't have the people, maybe it could, technology can make up for some of that, right? Maybe process can make up for some of that. Because a lot of times we're just doing any and everything, right? That When I came into the nonprofit, they had millions in AR because they were just behind in billing because one, everyone thought someone else was doing it, but then also yeah. they had this very robust accounting software that no one knew how to use. So exactly. And they were like, oh, it's the right work. one. This is what we're supposed to have. Yeah. So it was always so much work to put the, the billing together because it was, we're doing so many things manual because no one knew how to use the accounting software. So again, like you have to think about what does the organization need? Think about your users of the financial statement. Typically, organizations are able to, to show transparency and accountability through the financials. And so you need to make sure that you're able to show that your number should tell the story of the organization. And so you need to make sure that you're best suited or your a fiscal function is best suited and set up to be able to do that. I love that. I always talk about how your budget is one of your most powerful storytelling tools. Um, your budget and your financials are mm -hmm. really powerful storytelling tools. And I think you're hitting on something both about how they need to be able to tell the story of sort of your impact in your organization, but I also think they lay the foundation for effective fundraising, right? If your financials are telling an accurate story, then you can go out in the world and get support for that story and for that impact. Mm -hmm. And, and, and then on the other hand, it's like, if it's not telling the right story, right. you know, there, it calls into question your ability to steward fin yes. the, the finances of the organization, right? Because that's what funders and donors start to look at, right? Like if I give you my money, are you going to do the right thing with it? And a lot of times they, they look into the soul of the organization through the financials. So that's right. That's right. Um, so you talked about an accounting firm being for many organizations in sort of low seven figures, a good way, a good cost efficient way to get access to this partnership team. Mm -hmm. What does a firm do, right? So for, for some organizations, I think sometimes the hesitancy for hiring anybody, but even a firm is, it, 
like I said at the beginning, it feels opaque. Look, I don't really know <laughs> what I'm hiring you to mm-hmm. do. Can you walk us through, say, what your firm does mm-hmm. with we have smaller growing organizations? Yeah. So we have three different levels. And at the very basic level, we close the books for you on a month on a month to month basis. Which is huge. Which is huge. if people and try to do, like, house, you do nothing else. If you do nothing else, you need to be closing your books on a monthly basis. And yes. one of the myths that I hear is like nonprofits don't close on a monthly basis. Yes, they do. The good ones do. Or they should. Exactly. Yes. Right. You should not be waiting to the end of the year to close your books. And even if it's a soft close, because you shouldn't be waiting to the end of the year to close your books, because if there are any discrepancies, if there are any red flags, you're now catching them sometimes months and months. Yeah. You can't use your financials as strategic decision-making tools if you don't actually have insight into what's happening. Absolutely. What are we doing? (laughs) What are we doing? And so at the very basic level, we will um, close your books for you on a month-to-month basis. We meet with you monthly, discuss the numbers, um, and then also understanding that you have initiatives that are going on in your organization that have a financial impact. And so having those discussions about, is this something that's cost-effective? Can you afford to hire? You know, is this program that you thought was doing so great? Is it actually, you know, doing as great when we look at the numbers, right? And Yeah, then, what's the actual ROI? Yeah. Right. And then we grow in capacity with you, right? So as you, you know, you hit that threshold and you're now required to be audited by your state, right? We're managing the audit process with you. We're creating your audit schedules. We're making sure the auditors have everything that they need, right, to complete the audit. But then also we're upgrading your financials a bit, right? Like I like to say you have your financial reports and then you have your management reports, things that internally, you know, the board and like your ED and stuff want to see to to help make decisions. So like not just looking at the organization at the org level, but also like depending on the size, right, department level or um, program level, right, digging into program. um, Yes, financials and if you're and so like a lot of organizations we work with are um grant funded federally right we then have to look into those individual contracts like how are you tracking against the um the budget that they gave you right so like those specifics and then at the very high level they will completely outsource the accounting to us yeah yeah. we are essentially operating as their accounting department we just are not in-house so we're doing everything from billing paying bills tracking AR, running payroll, allocating payroll, um, managing your contracts, the ad hoc grant reports. So everything that you would expect your in-house accounting department to do, of course, you know, within reason, um, we we do at that uh, premium level. That's amazing. And when do you find organizations are ready for that premium level? Because I think one of the challenges, and you spoke to this at the beginning of our um, of our conversation, you know, organizations can be in one phase of their sort of organizational growth and be trying to prepare to like, you know, they're a baby organization, they're trying to be a teenager organization. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like, how does an organization know if they are or are not ready for that, you know, we really need to outsource everything as opposed to we need we need these management reports, we need to learn how to you know, use our financial strategically. Mm-hmm. I typically find it's when you start thinking about what's hurting, where like what's bothering you and where are you falling short. And so typically the organizations that hire us at the premium level are usually anywhere between like two to five million, mm-hmm. right? Um, and almost all of them are operating multiple sources of funding that are coming with their own um, requirements and stipulations, they're mm-hmm. all being audited. Yeah. And 
one thing I didn't mention is that we're not just talking about an independent audit. A lot of these organizations also get audited by their funders. That's right. But we're talking and about there are certain government entities. Um, yeah, there's different government agencies. Yep. And audit. so we're not. So we're talking about multiple, you know, audits. And then also, what else do you have going on? So like, are you? Do you have staff? You know, are you beyond the point where you're just paying contractors, right? But let's say you're running payroll, and and do, does that payroll need to be allocated, right? Because then we start getting into the intricate pieces of like some staff are working on this program, but they're also working on that contract yes, and making sure that we're allocating time. their time properly. Um, same thing with expenses, right? Because we're dealing with these organizations that have to bill their funder first to get paid back. So like these cost reimbursement contracts. So we're having to diligently um, track expenses and allocate appropriately. So when they start having, I feel like these complex pieces of accounting that a bookkeeper just can't keep up with because there's multiple layers, they will typically typically hire us at that level. And some of them will keep on their bookkeeper. Like if they've had a bookkeeper in-house, we have a few clients that have someone in-house who we work with and we provide like the oversight, but we're now a part of the process and we work together to make up that accounting department. I love that. I um, I guess what I'd love to close with, and I'm I'm just pausing because I feel like you've already given so much concrete advice. What I really love to end these conversations with is like, okay, pulling everything together. What words of wisdom would you offer leaders who are listening to this episode? And and the only reason I'm hesitating is because I feel like if, you know, and I'm going to say this in my in my opening for the episode, I'm going to say to people like, go through this with a notebook and a pen. This is, there's really great um, insight in here. So anything that you haven't already said or that you want to just lift up that leaders should really just think about and like sit with if they want to take decisive steps in mm -hmm. the direction of shoring up their organization's finances. Um, I would say that it is 2022 and we are in a new era of how we operate, right? So many people are like loving to talk about the great resignation and the way things are moving digitally, but it's like digital is not a trend. It's here and it's going to stay. And so if I could offer you anything, it's like we have to get out of this legacy mentality and doing things certain ways just because that's how we've always done it and embrace new ways of working there are yeah. a lot of ways that you could be operating more efficiently more effectively if you were okay with tapping into tech and expanding your mind about the options out there i have so many people that come to us as a last resort because it's like we really wanted our people to be in house but why so you can look at them times <laughs> have changed and yeah. there's a lot of work that can be done um not being in the office, right? And from the comfort of someone's own home or whatever the case may be. And it's a cost saving to you. And so I, I just think that you want to think about, take yourself out of the equation and think about what is best for the organization and how can you then make sure that the organization then gets said resource or whatever it is and understanding that a lot of times it, it could be a body, but it also may be a really good piece of tech or it could actually be implementing a process that so that everyone knows what they're what they're doing and when they do it and how they should be doing it right um and so i've seen just having just the shift in the mindset being a difference in how organizations operate and then the opportunities that they then open themselves up to because they're just willing to do things a new and different way i 
cannot think of a better place <laughs> to end. Um, this conversation was exactly what I was hoping it would be. I always love talking to you and you are so clearly just comfortable with an expert in <laughs> what you're talking about, which like I said, so many people are afraid of numbers. This conversation even made me, and I don't happen to be afraid of numbers. I'm like, oh, I can, this is great. I can manage this, you know? Um, so thank you so much for being with me today. You're welcome. This was a great and awesome conversation. I love talking about these things. So I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. And how can folks learn more about you and Visionary Accounting Group? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I am on Instagram. Um, or you can just go to visionaryag.com and you can find more about our services there. Um, yeah, but um, I, you know, I like to be on social to kind of educate. And so if you want to just see what I'm talking about, you know, come on over to socials. And if you'd like to take the next step, you can visit the website. Wonderful. I encourage everybody. There's a great um, LinkedIn live series that that uh, Jareen just did. And um, and even just following you, like I said, on Instagram and, and LinkedIn, you have just really great uh, quick tidbits all the time. So I encourage everyone to follow Jermaine. It was great talking to you. Have a great afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training. It's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, the four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. Finally, if you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash leadershipforward321. That's all for now. Have a great week, 
and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind. <laughs>